Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit, and Anthony Smith came right up to me, and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told them the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacovas has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. I'll bury the sun gun. Believe me, I will, but I got to do it with reality. It's not real that John's scared of this next generation or that he's unwilling or he's going to retire or he's going to run from them. It's not real. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday. And thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome. Well, guys, it's officially fight week. UFC 291 is this Saturday. I can't believe we're getting another pay-per-view already, but here we are at the end of today's episode. 
I'm going to break down the fight between Poirier and Gaethje. I'm also going to get into Paul Craig's call-out of Bo Nickel and Drikus Duplissi pulling out of the fight versus Adesanya. All of that and more coming up on today's program, but let's begin with the big news coming out of UFC London this past weekend. Tom Aspinall, welcome back. Wow. It really is a wow moment. This was a particularly difficult position that Tom was put in. Allow me to compare it to what John Jones just did. And I, I know there's some problems with a direct comparison, but that's a name that you will recognize. And my example will hold up in this regard. One of the things that made John's return so incredible is the environment that he walked into. He walked into a five-round main event situation after being removed from the sport for a meaningful amount of time. Now, Tom's wasn't as long as John's. In fact, it was about his third of as long as John's. But he did return in his hometown. He did return into a very difficult match with a very difficult opponent. And by the way, it was scheduled for 25 minutes. Look, the, the human body is not made to do 25 minutes. I mean, it's, it's a colossally difficult situation. And it, it requires an immense amount of training. You, not an eight-week camp and not a 10-week camp like you hear these lazy guys talk about. It, it's a life's work to then be able to go out there and defend yourself at all times in a 25-minute atmosphere. And I, I just bring that to you because... I don't imagine that he could have held up. And I would imagine, you have to understand, a combat athlete's greatest fear prior to the match is not losing. His greatest fear is exhaustion. The, the greatest thing that an athlete will worry about, it's not the left and the right hand of his opponent. It's that he will reach a level of fatigue where he can't finish the match. We'll have to just curl up and get, get, get TKO'd. That, that'll be on his feet and he's just getting picked apart. I mean, things like this is what really goes through an athlete's mind. I don't believe that Tom would have been an exception. I think that's a hard thing to walk into, but this is still the placement, right? This is still the opportunity. This is the one and only way that he can get his position back. So the chance was too big to turn down in spite of the fact that he'd been laid up for a period of time and he only got that eight to 10 week training camp that I just said wasn't enough. Which really was a very incredible thing that he walked out there and did. And it's one of the reasons that John got so much acclaim, man. He put a guy away in the very first round. Yeah, they had a belt up and different things like that. But how do you come back and look better than before you left? It's just not how the human body works. And there's a number of people that could argue what Tom did over the weekend was Tom's best performance ever, particularly when you factor in the opponent. I mean, this wasn't just Tom going out there and getting his done or finding his shot. He set that up. I mean, there was a lot of things that happened in that small amount of time. Tom set this up. Tom walked across the cage. That's the same thing that he did to Curtis Blades, by the way. I mean, Tom walked Curtis down and started throwing. It's exactly what he did over the weekend, and then he set it up. He came with the hook, right? He came with the hook outside before he came down the middle. I mean, that was not just he threw a punch. That was very well planned. That is an excellent, excellent, and special athlete that you saw. And when you argue that it could have been his best performance ever, when you look at the quality of opponents, 
I think popular opinion would say, yeah, that was his best ever. Well, how did we get there? How did he look so good? How did he put on such a good performance? And there's a real mental side that Tom has very clearly been focused on, and you could even hear that in his post-fight interview. He said, you know, I'm, I'm not back. This is a whole new me. This isn't a return match. This is a, hello, let me introduce myself. I mean, that was a very interesting perspective, by the way. Tom has made a mistake in the past, and it was only one, and he did it because he's polite. But he paid John Jones a tremendous respect, and he just said something along the lines of, I'm not ready for him. He was trying to be humble, and he was trying to be respectful of somebody that was older than him who had been there first. That's what he was attempting to do. But every now and then, that kindness, it can get mistaken. And it did, by the way, it did. It set him back when he made these comments, so he's got to rectify that. How's he going to do it? Well, I think he succeeded. This is a whole new me, body and mind. It was an interesting statement, and he cut a promo with Michael Bisping. And Bisping gets credit here, too, by the way, because Tom tried to take the mic. Like, there's a rule if you're in Bisping's spot, just, just so you guys understand what you're looking at. Never let go of the microphone. And there's a number of reasons for that, but one of them primarily is you only got X amount of time to do this spot, right? That earpiece that Michael's wearing, that's a producer in the truck telling him, get out, or hey, you got five seconds, wrap this. It's one of those things, you just can't let that mic go. And believe me, a guy will spend some some time, particularly when he's a main event and he's in his hometown. So Tom gets a hold of the mic, and this whole piece, everything that you've listened to, is to get me to this point. He calls out, and it was really great. I mean, he put his marching orders down. Here's what I'm going to do. He started the narrative. He created it. I'm going to fly to Paris. Okay, this is a big deal, though. See? Because now he's serving another show. He's not just serving himself. This is a big deal that you understand what Tom did here. He said, I'm going to fly to Paris. I'm going to watch Spivak, and I'm going to watch Gone. In the front row, I'm then going to fight the winner of that fight in a number one contenders match. And then I'm going to fight John Jones. All right. It's a big deal that he said, I'm going to fly to Paris. Because see, now he's told us the location. A story has what? Five W's. Who, what, when, why, and where. Since I'm going to fly to Paris. Now, all of a sudden, he just brought attention. He just did marketing and advertising for an event that he's not even on. That was very helpful. He then informs the audience what the main event is. I, for one, and I follow this very close, did not know that. I have seen that in the pet, but, you know, it kind of escapes your memory. I, I needed that refresher. I also don't know what Spivak and Gon are fighting for. I don't know what that's about. I get it's competition, you want to win, but when you're in a main event, it has to be about something. What in the hell are you guys fighting for? It can't just be because your name came up and your name came up. Sometimes it is that, but it can't be. It's a mistake when that happens. We're not there anymore. Tom just gave that match purpose. But do you understand, do you understand how important this is? Because if that wasn't the plan, it is now. It is now. Do you know how helpful it was that Tom did for a different event for different people? I mean, do you understand all the politics and bureaucracy, the marketing that is involved with that? Nobody else is doing that for you, which is why you go, okay, and you help him out in return. Now, for me, I got to tell you, I was surprised 
There is not a scenario, just so you're I see, I, I'm not confident that Tom found the right players. And Michael Bisping quickly co-signed this. Michael Bisping was on a bit of a high. You know, they were in England, and the crowd loves him, and the event was coming to an end, and he had some really great moments. He was on a bit of a high, but as that show faded to black and rolled the credits, Bisping co-signed what Tom said. He didn't say, hey, I think that's a good idea for number one contender. Bisping came out and said, that will make you the number one contender. Whoever wins between Spivak and Gone fights Tom. The winner fights John Jones. That's it. I mean, he said it with a great clarity. And he wasn't quite in a position to give the clarity. And the only reason I push back, guys, Sergey Pavlich is the guy. The, the, well, look, there's not a scenario, just so you understand, there is not a scenario where Surreal Gone returns to a title fight with John Jones. Surreal Gone could go stop this BVAC guy in five seconds and then go stop Tom in five seconds, which would just be amazing. He, they're not putting him in with John Jones, right? So I'm just, I'm just not positive that you've identified the right guys. I believe that Serge is already the top guy. I believe if anything is to happen to Stipe Miocic, just by example, before New York, We've already got the guy. And Sergey Pavlich. That's what I think. I also think you could bypass the trip to Paris, go straight into Sergey Pavlich, and become the number one contender. That's what I think. So it surprised me. It, it surprised because see, nobody can can agree to it at this point. Nobody can agree to what Tom did, and Tom really set the table very beautifully. I mean, this re this was his finest work on the mic, easily, ever. But nobody can agree to it in a position of power, because now, of, of the three guys you have, you're now putting Gone in that position. They are not putting Surreal back into a title fight with John Jones. So you find yourself in you find yourself in a little bit of a of a tough spot because of that three way. Why well, I think that Tom would come out on top. Surreal could come out on top. So so could Spivak. Quite frankly, they're all very good guys. It would just seem that Sergey Pavlich, I believe his record's like twenty nine and one or thirty and one. It's something crazy. The last six guys all got finished and all got finished in the first round. I I just I, I'm not confident that the right match has been identified. Now, we're splitting hairs there, by the way. Why I tell you I'm not confident it has been identified? I'm not confident telling you it hasn't been identified. I'm not confident that Tom didn't just change the entire story. Which, by the way, Sergey Pavlich did not insert himself in. For reasons that I, I do not know, Sergey Pavlich let that ride. I'm over here speaking up on his behalf. He should have already been speaking up on his behalf. And he didn't do it. This is how these things happen. It was an interesting week and it was an interesting call out. I don't know that the math necessarily works. But as far as the story being told and Sergi being the only one that could tell a different one and elected to keep his mouth shut, see what happens. Surreal Gone have responded to Tom Aspinall's call out. Hey guys, hold on a second. Let me be fair here. So I'm over at MMA Fighting. Let me see who did this. I, I've, I've just got to credit him. I, I'm over at MMA Fighting right now. 
And this, oh, this is by Drake. Drake's the man. You guys follow Drake Riggs? Oh. Drake Drake is the man. He, he's got an absolute passion. He wrote an article here where it appears that he interviewed uh, Gaethje. There is a chance that he's just subscribing. That wasn't the right word. Subscribe? What's that word? What's the word when somebody, somebody they quote you, they write it down. Subscribe? Transcribe. Transcribe. There's a chance that he transcribed it, but either way he wrote the article. Underneath that, there's a section that MM Fight has called Top Stories. So I think this is all done by Drake. I, I've got to credit because they didn't, they didn't put a new author in, but hear me out on this because it might be the best thing that they've got. They got something here, it's called a debate, and then they lay the debate. Then they've got a matchmaking, and they lay it out. Then they've got a throwback, and they lay it out. Then they got heavyweight, and they throw it out. Then they got results, and they got update. And this is a really great section over to MMA Fight, and it truly is. And I'm stealing this from them. John Jones and Surreal Gone respond to Tom Aspinall's call out at UFC London. Now, you gotta understand Surreal Gone got put in a really good position. Because the main event winner, who just might be the real number one contender, he just might be the guy that everybody's looking at, just said that he is one of the guys everybody's looking at, right? Like, there's not a scenario that's realistic where the UFC returns Surreal Gone against John Jones. You, 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 just, you can't throw a fight and then get that fight. You, it just it cannot be done. It has never been done. It won't be done. But now you have Tom saying that it's down to himself, Spivak, and Surreal. Tom has literally grabbed Surreal gone and pulled him back into the boat. Literally. And so you gotta have you gotta have the response by Surreal. And you gotta have a real appreciation. And Surreal was smart enough to do this. He's usually not. He was smart enough to see what happened, know what time it was, and allow himself to be inserted. It was very good move. As simple as it might sound, it was a very good move by Surreal. Now you take a look at John Jones. John Jones said on Twitter simply, good idea. That's all that he said, but I just want you guys to know what you're seeing with John. I am... Not an advocate for John Jones, but there is one falsehood that is out there. I'll bury John Jones all I want, but I'll bury him within the facts. This is not a fact. This is a misconception that John is afraid and or unwilling to fight this next generation of athletes. And that misconception is here for very good reason, which John said, I'm going to retire after Stipe. There is no truth to it. I mean, just so you understand, John did that for marketing and it was just, it was a mistake. It was a mistake because the laws of attraction are somewhat real, right? That for sure is the thing. And John is as prevalent in that world as anything. John has manifest a number of things. John has set his sights a number of times. John is known in his younger career for the visualization, visualization and doing these very things. When he comes out and he talks about Steve is my last one. Before you know it, you go do that for a couple weeks. You go do that for a month. All of a sudden, he is your last one. And even if your great plan is to pull back and say, I'm going to continue, you're in a different spot. It's a mistake and he should stop. And moreover, he kind of just did. Now, I have told you guys, John's not going to be done after Stipe. That, that's a work. I've told you that. It, this isn't a maybe or Chael's opinion. He's a prize fighter and he doesn't have enough money yet. 
I don't say that to tease him. He's a guy that went without work for three years. I'm sharing for you. You're not seeing the last of John. But if you want to take him at his word, go ahead. His word just changed. When John comes out a few weeks ago and says, I'm going to retire, thinking this is somehow going to help with ticket sales, he, it was wrong, it was a miss, and it needs to stop. Moreover, he just told Tom, that's a good idea. Tom said, I'm coming after you. He said, it's down to one of us three. We're going to rise up to the top. We're going to get this little round robin, and then we're going to go fight John Jones. John Jones said, good idea. I'm not confident that Tom identified the right three people. I am extremely confident in telling you the organization is never going to put Surreal and Jones back in there together. I'm sure there's nothing that John would like more, right? Like more than the, the easiest fight he ever had to have it again. I'm sure of that. I'm sure that he's willing to help. They're not going to do that again. And I also believe that Pavlich is the guy that's earned that opportunity. And I do believe that Pavlich is the biggest threat to John Jones. And I can tell you behind the scenes, John has already accepted that fight. Now, that doesn't mean that John isn't going to be intelligent about his career. And though he's willing to fight Pavlich, and he is willing, that's the misconception I'm talking about. That is a miss. John Jones will fight Pavlich. He's already agreed. I can't take that from him, guys. I'll bury the sun gun. Believe me, I will. But I got to do it with reality. It's not real that John's scared of this next generation or that he's unwilling or he's going to retire or he's going to run from them. It's not real. But John also would acknowledge that Pavlich is a problem. John has been very open to tell us all. Size matters. Within his own mind, size matters. And Sergi is one of the bigger guys in that whole division. Just for one, one little piece. So while John is willing to fight Sergi and he's aware that he's probably going to have to fight Sergi, if John wanted to play a little, little different game over here to fight that next generation, to end anything that anybody's saying about him, to protect his legacy, oh, and by the way, do it against a guy that isn't Sergi, that would be very intelligent of John. Now, <clears throat> I believe that that's a byproduct of what's happened here. I don't believe that was strategic, and I don't believe John is, is capable of being two and three steps ahead when he put out the simple message of telling Tom that he's, he co-signs the statement, which, by the way, the statement happens to just leave out the actual biggest threat. I don't think that John was being strategic. I think it's just something that happened, but it happened nonetheless, and it was the right move. Department of Corrections over here. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm a little bit unclear. It was made yesterday. Sean Strickland is fighting Israel Adesanya. Okay, that was yesterday. Last night, Sean Strickland will do the fight with Adesanya, but he's going to need a boost in pay. Said this publicly. The, the, the worst way to get a boost in pay is to ask for it publicly. And I do believe that Sean knows that. And Sean has been given boosts in pay before and he's never done it publicly. So I think that he understands these things. So you could chalk that up to a guy that's working. He's just trying to do an interesting interview. But but either way, if, if we're to take that information that we've now been given, Izzy and Sean is not done. That's a big difference. That's a big, big difference. If you got a whole bunch of other 85 pounders that think they have a compelling argument for it, and now you find out that the fight isn't done, oh, and by the way, we got to go talk, we got to talk about one thing we don't want to talk about, which is money, you got an opportunity to steal that fight. And 
I don't, Sean is much too smart to know that. He is much too smart to come out and publicly let the world know this isn't done. So I didn't know how to take it. I didn't know how to take it. I did, just simply didn't know how to take it. Is it done or not? Because you got a real fight on your hands here. If you've made a match and now, right, if you're turning to the bridesmaid, if you're already coming down, the blonde bomber came out on Twitter. He said, I'm not hating. Congratulations, Sean. But I'll admit I'm a little bit confused. I had won five in a row before I was put in a match that was said to be the match that I needed to go on for the title. You've won two in a row. You've won two of your last four. It was something something along these lines. I, I don't know what Sean's records, but I, I'm real close. And Derek said, I'm not hating. He just said, you know, he'd be making an observation. And there is a belief within this sport, which means you guys think that you have to have won your previous fight. And that is a very odd thing to believe. And when the fellow fighters believe it and they accept it, it becomes a cultural thing. And then they speak and they behave like that. Well, this is a deal amongst men, and this is where we're at. And no other sport does that. I have seen LeBron lose on Tuesday, leave the court with his head down, and on Thursday, be crowned world champion and MVP. He lost, and two days later, became world champion. I've seen that. That's how real sports work. In real sports with any kind of competitive feel, you win some and you don't win some. And you have a day that's a crowning moment. And I bring that to you because there's some very strong arguments out there right now. You're going to have to get Izzy's attention. You're going to be somebody that Izzy wants to fight. I mean, there's some moving parts to this, but there's some strong arguments. Nobody's making them. They don't think that they have the right. Robert Whitaker has made it very clear to all of us that he is the next best thing within that division. If he finds himself in a semifinal, but the guy that beats him backs down because an interview didn't go his way. For, let's just reword it. If the guy that, he, that beats him backs down for any reason, he moves on due to survivor clause. Of course he would be the next best thing. Of course he would be the top contender. Of course he would. We proved and established there's one guy in front of him. That guy's not going to do it. It comes back to him. That's obvious. That makes sense. Well, no, not to you guys. No, he lost his last fight. He can't even He can't even ask for it. He can't even speak up. Can't even do an interview. Can't even. It's all true. That's, that is how our industry believes that this should work. Charles Oliveira said three different ways, including in writing on social media, that he doesn't want to fight Islam. Benny DeRouche should then be fighting Islam. The only person that's told you that is me. I can't do it. I need Benny to do it. 
I need Benny to do it, and I'll throw gas on it. I'll get the message out there, and we'll get the fight. Benny believes that he can't fight Islam because he lost his last fight. That's what he believes. He believes that in his heart. He's 8-1 and one in his last nine. He has the most impressive record. But that one came most recently, and therefore, in his mind, he can't do the fight to the point that he doesn't even ask for it. And I'm just sharing with you, if you got a guy that's the guy and he's holding out for money publicly, it's a big problem. The want the money, the whole, all of that, that's all fair game. That's all above board. Publicly changes things. I'm not predicting for you that it is. I believe that that match is locked in. I believe that interview was to have a little bit of fun. But if it wasn't, right, it's one of those interesting positions where you could defer back to the tweet that Derek Brunson put out, and you could start to learn a few things from that. You could start taking that apart and picking that apart, and you could start to go from there. It's interesting. A day ago, we were told the fight was done. Last night, we are told it wasn't. nothing to do with this, but I certainly didn't hurt things. Jared Kanner spoke up. He did an interview. What? What? Oh my gosh. What are you talking about, Chill? Jared Kanner did an interview. He spoke to somebody. He pled his case. As a matter of fact, he's trying to interrupt the idea that Sean Strickland would go in there and fight with Izzy. And Jared Kanner was effective he was effective enough that Sean Strickland responded. Right? You got to do a pretty good job of interrupting a fight. You got to do a pretty good job to get the guy that has the fight to come out and engage you. And I believe Strickland has that fight. I believe everything that you guys saw where Strickland saying, oh, you know, they're going to have to pay me and all that stuff. I believe that was him going to work. I, I don't think that was him revealing to us that it isn't actually signed yet. That's what I believe. I, I don't think that they're in a position where Cannoneer could swoop in and grab that match. I think it's done, and it's for Sean, but i got to use the word think, guys, right? We're to look at the information that we've been given. It goes in both directions. We were told that fight was done. Izzy came out and said it's going to be Strickland instead. And then Strickland's doing an interview with, with Helen and made it sound as though it wasn't done, that they were still in a negotiation. I mean, I'm only sharing this with you that it was the perfect time for Cannoneer to speak up. Not to mention they fought Cannoneer 1. In fact, that was a lot of the return fire that Sean Strickland had, was talking about that fight and talking about that decision. Man, they might have raised your hand, but I beat you, and you know that I beat you. Right? They had a little bit of a back and forth, but these things are good, and it was very good to hear Cannoneer speak up. It really was. Look, guys, you were going to be in this spot either way. I told you this from Jump Street. I never backed off this. Never. And I thought Whitaker was going to win. I, I, I admit that I had the call wrong, but 
I told you, moreover, this is not a number one contenders match. No, Whitaker versus Duplissy. I told you that repeatedly. Nobody told us that it was. By the way, I know we said it. I know we started believing it and we started spreading that around. But nobody told us this was a number one contenders match. And that includes at the press conference two days earlier when they asked Dana about it. No one said it was a number one contenders match. You want to know when we found it was a number one contenders match? Is when Joe Rogan interviewed Duplisi afterwards and said, we have a world title fight. That's when we're all looking around going, okay, well, somebody told Joe to say that. So I guess this is the number one contender. And you want to know why I told you it wasn't, guys? The dates didn't match up. We have never. And you won't be able to go back and get a calendar and be a great historian on this and prove me wrong, aside from somebody gets hurt or injured. I'm talking about by the plan. By the Here's what we plan to do. We have never identified a number one contender in July to fight for the strap in August. Never. I'm talking about being one month apart. That's never happened. And we all knew going into Whitaker Duplices, right, you got two primary strikers. You're going to have a bludgeoning. Both athletes are going to need an amount of time after this fight before they can even return to practice. We knew that. I told you guys this until I was blue in the face. Over and over I told you this. And I'm only bringing it to you because nothing would change. I don't believe there's anything wrong with, with Duplices. I'm way out of bounds saying that. Way out of bounds. I don't have any information. I, I just watched a guy. I, I watched. I saw what happened. I saw a face-off. I saw the body language. I saw a guy change in that moment. But don't kid yourself. Whitaker wasn't going to go do that fight either. No matter what happened in that ring that night, Robert Whitaker was not going to go fight Izzy in Australia a month later. It wasn't going to happen. That was never a number one contenders match. It was reckless to say it. It was obvious that it wasn't going to be. I told you this for weeks going into this. I told you there's a reason. The organization has never named it. The organization has done this enough. They know what I'm saying to be true. And you got an outside shot, and you try to build the best matches you can. You take a good look at it. You see that Duplices is 100%. You see he's celebrating. He's bouncing. He's, he's, he's making out with the corner man. I mean, every, everything's cool. And he's got a big smile on his face. There's nothing about his body language that says injury. Nothing. So in that moment, you feed to the ear of Joe Rogan. He's now the number one contender. We're going to bring Izzy in. We're going to do this in Australia in a month. Start the build. And that was the problem. That ended up being the problem. It was the right thing to do. Everybody did the right thing. Everybody. Had that interview not taken place, you would be seeing Duplissis versus Adesanya next month. But if you had a different outcome and Whitaker had won, don't kid yourself, guys. He's not making that walk. You have Cannoneer coming in, trying to swoop right in. There's a miss there by Jared. And the miss was that that match wasn't fun to watch. And the miss there was that he did not build that match. And and therefore, to, to take him and to redo it, there's some misses there. But he still went for it. And I like that about Jared. I really like that he did that. And I find Cannoneer to be a very interesting guy. I find his backstory being the truck driver and a heavyweight, and he was in Alaska. I, I find it all to be a very interesting story. I wish that he would come out. I wish he would be comfortable. I wish he would tell the story more often. But Strickland's the right guy for the job. 
And in front of everything else, I mean, not only the backstory between Strickland and Izzy, not only the, the paths that they were on, not only the rankings, above everything else, Sean Strickland will show up. We could make the fight and wait for Duplicis to, to, to pull out, which was pretty quick, or we could give it to Whitaker, who's going to pull out and not do the fight. I mean, eventually, you have to have a willing character that will actually show up and do the match. That's the difference. That's the difference between the field and Sean Strickland. Paul Craig called out Bo Nickel. Hmm. <laughs> Lots there. First off, did he mean it? Mm, who cares? <laughs> who cares if he meant it? There's adrenaline. There's things that happen, right? Who cares? He said it. He'll back it. Paul be a man about it. Whether whether he th is thinking today there might have been a better way to play that or not. Secondly, there's nothing about the bookings of Bo Nickel up until this point that would lead you to believe he's going to get in there with Paul. I mean, he, he's getting booked in the opposite direction. His, his last match was literally the greatest spread in the history of the sport, or at least within the company of UFC. There had never been a spread. Was it 24 to 1? Is it 24 to 1? Is that what the number was? There had never been a match that had that big of a spread. So to take somebody from, from the biggest squash match ever booked for television to a match with Paul Craig would be a surprise. So what difference does it make? Now, if you ask me dream matches for Bo, and I have some real dream matches, I, I think that Bo's got the skills and, and has the ability... And, and the story and the rise and the legacy of Bo changes greatly each time they walk him out there. They don't agree with me. They think if they can walk him out there five more times before they put him into a title fight, that that's better. I don't agree at all. Not even, We're not even remotely close to agreeing. If you could have brought Bo in off the Dana White Contender Series and put him in a title fight, that would be a way cooler, way ten times cooler scenario than doing it for three and a half years and giving him a record like everybody else that ever had the opportunity. Now he's not different. Now he's not special. He's like everybody else, right? If anybody goes three years undefeated and puts seven or eight matches, they're going to go fight for a world title. There's nothing special about that. That was the miss and that was the mistake. If you, in fact, believe that he's that good, if he, in fact, has those skills. So, the, the Paul Craig match is not one that I would have made. If you if you turned to me, gave me the magic wand, said make something big for Bo, I would have done those things, and it would have been Craig. I, I I admit that there's not gonna be the hype, there's not gonna be the built up. There's just there's there's something there that's a miss, and I can't tell you what it is. I'm a massive believer in Paul Craig. To let to let you guys know how good Paul Craig is, just to, by some off chance that you don't know. Two guys have fought for world championships that, that have one thing in common. They both got finished by Paul Craig. Two guys. Uncle I have got to fight for a world championship. Paul Craig finished him. Jamal Hill got to fight for a world championship. Oh, by the way, of which he won. Paul Craig finished him in the very first round. And I happened to be there for that fight. Where were we at, guys? Were we in Houston? Paul Craig goes right to his back. 
gets taken down. Basketball player takes him down. Like you, you don't have to wonder if 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 Bo Nickel can take him down. All right, Paul got taken down by a basketball player. Paul went to work. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. This was some of this was the some of the slickest, some of the fastest, the most relaxed, calculated with risk control. Paul Paul went by the numbers. It was awesome. His jujitsu against Jamal Hill. It was awesome. And I bring that to you because while that isn't the match that I would make, the X's and O's are very fascinating, right? Bo's biggest threat to anybody is I'm going to take you down. There's nothing you can do about it. That's his biggest threat to everybody. And that's going to frustrate everybody. That's going to be a feather of the cap of Bo, and that's going to be a concern in the heart of every single opponent except Paul Craig, who likes to be on his back. Now, does that change the fight? Does, does that give Craig some kind of a meaningful advantage? I'm not suggesting that for you, but maybe, <laughs> right? It certainly wouldn't hurt things. It would make things a little bit more compelling. If the biggest threat and the response, everybody else's response, well, I prepared for the takedown. I could stop you. That's everybody's response, except Paul, which is, we can go ahead and just start the fight right there. It, it, it's that, that part is very compelling. It was also the right move by Paul Craig because they're not going to do the match. They're not going to do the match. And you do have the top guys who are blatantly scared and they're hiding from Bo because they don't understand how this works. They're not, you're not, you're not going to have to do the match. You're much better off to call him out. I don't know if Paul Craig could have called anybody out and got me to make a video about it other than Bo. It was a very smart move. And the X's and O's of that match are very compelling. Paul Craig deals with light heavyweights all the time. You know, down at 185 pounds, it's interesting, man. Paul's a very scary guy. He's a very capable guy. It wasn't a fake call-out. He'll do the match, for sure. And he would be a problem in that match, for sure. I was impressed by the whole thing. I liked the whole thing. I don't predict for you it's going to happen. It was the right move. It was the right call-out by Paul. Justin, it is fight week. It is fight week. DraftKings has this thing at less than two to one. And I bring that to you because it was two and a half to one the first time that they fought. Do you guys remember this? It was two and a half to one favoring who the first time they fought. All those years ago, it was favoring who? Who was supposed to win the fight? Poirier? Wrong. 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 Gaethje was the favorite. Gaethje was the official favorite going into that fight. And the line closed, by the way. So he got ready to fight. It was it was even a little bit under 2-1. to one. But it was still Gaethje. Now they've switched that. Poirier is the favorite, and it's a little less than 2-1. to one. And it's a very interesting match. You got the two toughest. The, you, got the, you got the baddest guys, man. And that's a, that's a broad stroke. But boy, they're up there. And if you look at body of work, if you look at lifetime and you look at career, I don't know that it is a broad stroke. I think it's pretty directly. It's Poirier and it's Gaethje. It's a wildly interesting match, but to remind you of the first one, it was a straight-up bludgeoning. Justin Gaethje, who is an All-American Division I wrestler who absolutely never uses his wrestling. Now, 
50%, which is the defense, he does. He will scramble. You go back, you watch that Chandler fight. The difference in the fight between Chandler and Gaethje was Gaethje's defensive wrestling. He was able to scramble and stop those takedowns. And I only bring it to you because it seemed like going into that fight, if push comes to shove, Gaethje can turn to wrestling. And whether he's dominant there or just slightly better there, if he can just grab a takedown, it will be enough to steal that round. And that fight was stopped in the third round. It was a three-round fight. It was about a two and a half. Is about two and a half rounds is what it went. But scheduled for three, and I, I bring that to you because Gaethje went down out of uh, pure exhaustion. He had thrown everything that he has. He had fired every round that he had. He was out of bullets. And there's no reason to believe that this fight's going to be much different, considering that's how Gaethje fights everybody. He brings a hell of a storm, and usually there's nobody left standing. I say that because if we're taking the same thing that we've already seen, if we're taking the same thing with the same guys and we believe that they're going to bring the same performance, it would seem as though when exhaustion set in, I mean complete exhaustion, the, the most tired I've ever seen Justin Gaethje fight, it wasn't because he was unprepared, it's because his activity level was that high. It's because his volume and his output was that high. Is he going to learn the lesson and know how to extend that energy? It would seem as though if you're doing the same thing, except this time, you've got to do it another 70%. Instead of three rounds, you're scheduled for five. I think that that's meaningful. How meaningful? In what regard, right? With some guys, oh, no, a different fighter. Uh, learned a lesson. That was valuable, right? Didn't get what I want, but I got experience. And a lot of times those are just words, but a lot of times they're very true. You're dealing with one of the most stubborn fighters I've ever seen. Cody Garbrandt is more stubborn, right? I can't say Gaethje is the most stubborn. Cody is probably the number one. But Gaethje's amongst the most stubborn. And it's very hard to convince him or talk him out of something when you have that level of success. Why would you? Would you even try? I mean, his style is going to work over 90% of the time. Would you even try? Mm, I'm, I'm not sure that Trevor Whitman would his coach, and I'm not sure he'd be wise to. I'm not sure you would want to change that athlete. Even if you were aware that, hey, that's not going to work every time, but if you knew that's going to work over 90% of the time, oh, by the way, in really big fights, including title matches, I'm not sure you change that guy. Now it's just a matchup issue of the opponent. Can the opponent study and break down? Does the opponent know what he's going into? Does the opponent have the blueprint? In this particular case, it's unique because we know that Poirier does. Not only is Poirier one of the most well-trained athletes. He's one of the most intelligent athletes himself. And not only that, he's had the experience and he's been in there with Justin. What is it that Justin can do different? I will still turn to the fact that he's got great wrestling. But nowhere in my analysis will I predict for you that he's going to use it. He never uses it. He never uses it. It's one of the things you guys love about him, man. It's one of the things that makes him so incredibly fun. But it's tough to see what's going to be different. I think they're going to exchange and trade moments. They're going to trade the energy of the fight, right? I think momentum will be on Justin's side at some point. I think momentum will go to Dustin's side at one point. 
I could see rounds coming to an end, and you go, oh, Gaethje won that round. I could see rounds coming to an end, and you go, oh, Poirier won that round. It's just about what's going to be next. It's very unlikely that we get all, to all 25 minutes. These guys' output, it's just too much. It's just not designed for that. And to talk to, to Gaethje and tell him to take his foot off the gas a little bit and to take that same amount of energy but extend it over 25 minutes, I mean, he's not even going to know what you're saying. That is not the way he fights at all. It's a very wild situation when you consider that they've already done it. It's a very wild situation when you understand that DraftKings has flipped. I mean, to go back in time, two to one favorite for Gaethje. Present time, two to one for Poirier. And I know I'm rounding up. I know it's tighter than that. But I think that that just shows them a respect. And what an opportunity for the BMF in an arena, in Salt Lake, completely sold out. This is awesome stuff. And not to mention, right, when you're looking for motivation, you're looking to dig deep, why do I want to win? Well, what does a win get me? And we're not to the point where it gets you number one contendership yet, but we're to the point where we are discussing Islam. I think that you are a fool to believe that Charles and Islam is set. Charles has told us one time that he's going to fight Islam in October. He's told us three times he's not going to fight him in October. And which one should we believe? Okay, let's believe Charles. Charles says he's going to fight him. Okay, but Charles says times three he's not going to fight him. I'm just bringing it to your attention that a backup fighter seems appropriate. You could always look to Volkanovsky. That seems appropriate. But to look to the winner of Dustin and Justin also seems appropriate. So I think there is a little something extra on this match. And I think that it is a meaningful that DraftKings now, in light of what we've already seen, has changed. The same guy is doing the same thing, but they're going to do it for five rounds, and it's a rematch. So we know what can happen between them in the first place. They've literally flipped the odds. Which means you guys have changed where you're putting your money. It's a, it's a very interesting thing. Make no mistake, Justin Gaethje can win this fight. Make no mistake. He could stop him. He could dominate him. And make no mistake, he can get stopped and he can get dominated. This is a wildly difficult match to predict. You're safer to go with Dustin considering you've already seen it and he already got his hand raised once. You're safer to do that, but Dustin's not the one that asked for this match. Dustin's the one that was challenged. He accepted the match. The rematch was Gaethje's idea. Gaethje felt and believes he knows something. What do you suppose it is? Alright you all, that's it for today's episode. I've had it with you, but I do want to thank you for listening. And man, I just dug into UFC 291 a little at the end there, but coming up on Friday's episode, I'm going to get into some of the other big fights on the card, plus I'm going to give you my official predictions. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.